so today we are not talking to one nor two but three persons uh so we're talking to joachim james and furkan the aka pole lift him uh, so thank you guys for joining thank you for having uh, us sure of course and uh Oh, well, why don't we do like short introductions? Uh, Joachim, maybe you could start. Yeah, sure. Uh, I started programming about 40 years ago, and I've been a professional software developer for 24 years. Wow. And the last seven years has been with Clojure. <clears throat> and uh, I'm the author of Polarit, and I'm, I'm from Sweden. Cool. James, you want to go next? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is James. Uh, I'm also old, like Yoki. <laughs> I've been uh, developing software for, for more than 20 years professionally. Uh, right now, my, my current role is I'm head of engineering at Snipe Esports. We're an esports broadcasting company. Uh, I have eight years of uh, love and experience with Clojure. Um, people might recognize me as Mr. Fistful. I have a channel on YouTube where I, I used to do um, closure and Atomic and other other videos and, and some of the Polylith videos have ended up there. And I'm originally from the UK. Cool. Yeah, and I'm Furkan. I have I'm the uh, youngest one in the team. I have only seven years of professional software development experience, and I've worked with Closure for the last four years. And at the moment, I'm head of technology at Sprintel, where we are developing a, a qualitative analysis tool. And I'm originally from Turkey. Cool. Great. Uh, so again, great to have you on. Uh, and today we'll be talking about Polylith. Um, so where do we start? What is Polylith? Yeah, maybe I can answer that. Polylith is a backend architecture and uh, I would say a new way of thinking about software. It's a new way of organizing code uh, and, uh, and we use something we uh, we we have um, Lego-like building blocks that we call components. One of the main goals is to give you a really excellent development experience. So for closure developers, that means to work uh, in a single development environment in a repo. Those um, building blocks, those Lego-like building blocks, the components, they are very flexible. Uh, it, it really helps you with your with the development experience also. So they are very flexible. Mm -hmm. So just put them together into the services or whatever you want. When you say architecture, Polylith is not like a framework that gives you all of the set of like decisions. It's uh, when you say architecture, it's not really that, right? No, I would say yeah, it's... It, it kind of helps you. It's more like it kind of guides you to help, helps you to reason about the code and to, it kind of helps you to make the right decisions. I mean, or, I mean, it helps you to write high quality software. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I would say. Where I would say it's similar to frameworks, but it is that it gives you this high level structure. You know, most frameworks, they're going to give you a particular folder structure, a way to uh, organize your project files, etc. And Polylith does that too. Uh, but where it's different is it's not trying to be the kitchen sink. It's not trying to solve all your different problems for you. It's very focused on just solving the structural uh, and development experience and deployment experience uh, challenges that Joachim was talking about. So, mm -hmm. so there are definitely similarities, I would say, to to frameworks, but it's not with a it, it's not like a framework in that way. It takes some inspiration, but it's it's really cleaner and simpler and purer, I would say, and more in the the closure realm of thinking about well, what's the best way to solve this with a more library kind of thinking. That mm -hmm. that's how we we aimed for for. Right. So I'm I am the one who's picking the libraries for Polylith. And the polylith, as you mentioned, just gives you the structure of how you organize the things. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, so what are some kind of like main components, building bricks or Lego bricks, as you named them, Joachim? Yeah, a component is a service level building block that we use to compose uh, services and other artifacts. And uh, each uh, component uh, live in their own directories with their own source and test and maybe resources folder. And a good thing is that they are accessible from everywhere, kind of. You, every component can access any other component. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, th they are very simple. So you, you put a good name on each component and we have only one of each component, which we don't duplicate code. And they, they are tiny or, at least, tiny or small chunks of code and with a single responsibility and they isolate complexity. So, and we do that, uh, so, so we have an interface and they, they are not objects, so they are not like object orientation interfaces, but they are an, an, an interface in, in the polylith world is a namespace with a set of functions. So that's one part of, of a component, the namespace. And then we have an implementation and that is one or several namespaces with also a set of functions. So it's the, the way you are used to organize code in Clojure. So, mm -hmm. so, so that's how, how it looks like. So then, and the interface just delegates to the implementation. Mm -hmm. And what can I say more? Yeah, I can say um, because of the interface, I would say uh, they are very composable and, and uh, components only know about other interfaces. So that's how we decouple them. Mm -hmm. So and and each each of those folders they live they live uh, in a in a kind of top uh, project folder. We we call that the workspace. Mm -hmm. And the works under the workspace, each component live under uh, lives under the components folder. So that's how we structure the code. So 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 it's not a hierarchical uh, structure. It's more like a flat structure, actually. Mm -hmm. More democratic, you could say. They, every component has the same value uh, and the same accessibility across uh, within your development environment and then across the different services, tools, or libraries that you're building as artifacts out of uh, your project structure. Yeah, I, I, I sometimes think of them like, let's say you want to use Yoda time in your project, then you just say, okay, I'm going to use Yoda time. And then you don't care if another library you also use, also use Yoda time. So it is kind of that you, you just pick the libraries, but this is not libraries, but they are kind of similar in that way that they are kind of building our building blocks we mm -hmm. use. And I think that their superpower is really the interface. I mean, you can explain it and, and why we have that. I mean, interfaces are a good idea. It's nothing we've come up with, of course. That's a really known computer science concept. But it's just this powerful interaction of uh, pass-through interfaces like we use in Polylith, which keeps mm -hmm. that uh, development experience so good because of the renaming, the refactoring, the debugging part of it. Uh, but then that encapsulation, hiding away of complexity so that you can use any number of namespaces uh, to implement your component, uh, the, the, the functions that you're exposing, and then just choosing a, a little menu which is the interface of here are the functions that are exposed, which means it's a, a really easy way to sort of discover a system's functionality. Right. So yeah, you can swap out the implementation just by changing sort of the ultimate the namespace or the name. Exactly, because that's the other power of interfaces, right? That you can have multiple implementations for the same interface. And uh, that's not the first benefit, I wouldn't say, for components, but it's definitely a very powerful one and one that becomes really interesting when you start playing around with having a single development environment uh, or development project and then deploying that across multiple services. But I think we'll come back to that that point mm -hmm. later. All right. Um, so what is it like to work with Polylith? What is your experience so far? Yeah, I can answer that. Um, like, uh, mm. like Polylith is uh, an architecture, of course, like we give you a like set of rules, but apart from that, we also uh, give you a toolbox that makes this makes your development exper experience really delightful. So, and within that toolbox, we have, uh, for example, a CLI tool uh, where you can run some uh, command line uh, interface. And uh, for example, one one command that we have is validating the integrity of the architecture. So, like. Let's say you have a Polylit workspace and you want to make sure like only the interfaces are used from different components. 
So you just run poly check and then it checks the entire workspace and then tells you if you have any invalid structure. And also this CLI tool gives you out of the box incremental tests. So we calculate uh, which parts of the code has changed and we only run the tests for the parts that are uh, affected directly or indirectly. So that's a really good benefit as when, when, when the code bases get bigger and bigger uh, during the development time, it might take too long to run the tests. But with Polylit, you only run the tests for the parts you changed. Uh, and then also we give you a visual overview of the code base with this CLI tool. So you can just run poly info and then you, use, you get a visual, uh, visual representation of the actual workspace. You can see which components are used in which deployable packages, which environments, etc. So it's, it's quite powerful. And apart yeah, from the CLI tool, yeah. we also give a library where you can extend the polylit, uh, polylit for your specific needs. Like if, if this ex incremental tests doesn't fit on your test suite, you can just take uh, the, like the library, polylit library, and then write a couple of lines of code on top of it to, to make it work with your test suite. Or I don't know, maybe you have some uh, deployment scripts, you can extend Polylit to, to basically build only the parts that are changed. Mm -hmm. So that's the toolbox we give you. Mm -hmm. One of the, the things that the... I've been really impressed by in terms of improving the development experience is I think what Polylit helps with is encouraging the right behavior. Let me know if you disagree with this, guys. But for me, when you have components that are so cheap to make a new component, it's so fast and it's so easy and it doesn't add a lot of complexity to your system, mm -hmm. it encourages you to be really modular in your design yeah. in a way that if you're using some other architecture, say microservices, if, if the microservices are where you're getting your modularity from, you should be adding more services, but that adds a lot more complexity to your uh, development environment, your build environment, your testing, all, all of that. Whereas with Polylift, that isn't the case. So it's encouraging you. And like you said, with the incremental testing, again, because the tests give you fast feedback, yeah. that's a nice development experience, right? It reduces the friction and it encourages you to add more tests. It encourages you to test more often. So it's just, it, it's building good behavior because it's removing the friction that a lot of other environments give you. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, and it, it's, it's like you design your system while you go. I mean, that's the feeling. I mean, you, 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 you don't end up with a huge monolith or a, a lot of services. That's not what you end up with. You end up with a lot of small, tiny components that are, that are easy to reason about. So mm -hmm. that's kind of the uh, polylith helps you with the design of your systems. And to communicate about it, right? It's not just designing it by yourself. It's also because you have this language that you share in the team if you use Polylith. Everyone knows what a component is. They know what, what level of abstraction that you're talking about. And then it encourages you to give a good name for something. It's got that menu of functions in its interface. So suddenly you've got this whole new language for thinking about and talking about your systems, which I think adds a lot of value. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, so... Uh, just one question regarding the CLI. Does, is this somehow uh, dependent of if I'm using uh, Line or Debstat tools or Debstat Eden or? So, like at 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 the moment, like we uh, we are supporting Debs uh, Eden. So, like uh, the tool works out of the box, and mm -hmm. yeah, like the the idea of Polylit is 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 not dependent on that actually. So like, um, like it is easily uh, extendable to support other build systems and even other languages. Mm -hmm. I see. But right now it um, just supports yeah. Eden because that's all that we've built in the current version of the tool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so what about the name? How did you came up with the name? Where does ideas coming from Polylith? Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about Monolith. It's not a definitely definitely not a monolith, and it's not a, it's not a microservices system. So we we actually the the first name we started with was a, a micro monolith that we came up with. But that was an early version of, of this polyth that didn't have all the nice uh, 
features we have now or yeah it was a simpler version of it but but then uh, then i realized okay but this is more like uh, building blocks so then i think it must be a, a word for what what is the opposite of monolith and i and i of course you the, i found a site with opposite words and then they say oh that's a polylith okay that's a good name and it wasn't used very much if you google polylith it's rarely almost not used so so we took that mm -hmm. and how did you even start with this whole idea like what triggered you to create the polylith yeah that's a good question uh, maybe i can take that one and sort of paint a picture a little bit about the situation in which we created this so if everyone casts their mind's eye back four years to or i guess it depends on when you're listening but cast your mind's eye back to 2016 uh, so uh, at least one presidential election cycle ago. Uh, and I had just started, it was my first uh, CTO role. So I was CTO for a recruitment company. And uh, so I came in a very small team and we had this big technical challenge ahead of us about building this uh, recruitment platform that not only took a lot of legacy data and, and legacy information from old systems that had been built by a whole a different stream of consultants that had come in and out of this company over the years, um, but also adding new features and new functionality and using new psychometrics and evaluations and matching um, and, and report generation. So we, ha we had this big challenge ahead of us and not a very big team. And it was my first time as a CTO. So, of course, you're a bit nervous, um, but I'd already fallen in love with Clojure at that point uh, in my previous job where I was introduced to it by a colleague and we sort of learned it together. And that was I'd, I worked with Joachim at that previous place. And I sort of introduced Clojure a little bit to Joachim and helped him fall in love with it too. Uh, so then when I had this opportunity to actually decide a greenfield project from the beginning, it, it was pretty clear to me that Clojure was high on the, on the list. Uh, so when we did the, the decision matrix, it, it won pretty easily. Uh, and and Ferkin was already working at this company. He was there doing Java development with Spring. Um, so I sort of started mentoring Ferkin and teaching him the, the ways the ways of the force with, with closure and functional programming. And, um, and then we needed to pick a database technology. And again, we did a decision matrix, you know, you weight uh, the different elements that are important and, and you pick based on what wins. And, and we ended up picking Datomic and it won by a landslide just for this use case that we had. Datomic was perfect. So we had this great situation, right? A small elite team. We're all really in love with functional programming and closure. Uh, it's Greenfields. Okay, we've got all this legacy data that we need to deal with, but it felt like this is going to be awesome. And we had to pick a, an architecture, and the architecture du jour was definitely microservices. Um, so I don't think we have much of a chat about it. We basically just said, let's let's try microservices. Maybe we talked briefly about Monolith, but it didn't really cross our minds to, but like it would only be, well, we could start with a Monolith and then almost immediately shift to microservices. Um, so we started, but we hit quite a few friction points. We hit some pain points almost immediately, I would say. Like we, we weren't working on it long before we started getting frustrated. Um, for example, we felt a real pain around that we were deciding things about our deployment strategy because, of course, you're deciding how many services should we have, how should we split this, before we'd even figured out, well, what are the non-functional requirements of this system? How many users are we going to have? How much do we have to scale it? So it felt like we were kind of forcing our modularization into the deployment strategy, and that felt just off for us. And then we were having all these friction points when it comes to the actual development experience. You know, a small team, we were rapidly developing, and we had separate, separate um, repos, uh, repositories for each of these microservices. And every time we were making changes to the APIs, we are having to stop and rebuild. We had to run separate REPLs for each service, which was slow. I mean, it just, it felt really ineffective. Every time we used the debugger, you hit the brick wall when you came to the network level. And then also we'd chosen Datomic, as I explained, but then we weren't making full use of its speed because it has this great caching, you know, in memory, in process story with, with the database as a value. We weren't really making full, um, taking full advantage of that because we had this, this network between all our different services. Uh, so we were feeling the frustration. Uh, and one day you came in, Joachim came in and said, guys, I've got an idea. Let's, let's have a meeting. Maybe Joachim, you want to talk about what happened in that meeting? Yes. Yeah. So, so we have used, I mean, I think I actually, I think you, the microservices solution was already in place when I started, but, but you hadn't used it for a long time. 
But after I've been working with, with it for like a week or two, I felt like, oh, this, this can't be right. It feels like, I mean, what, what problem are we solving here? It felt like that. So I was thinking, oh, this could be, I mean, it's nice that we have divided the, the software, the project in different uh, sub, modules, oh, yeah. like sub projects. That's kind of uh, improves the, it, it makes it easier to reason about, but, but it's just too complicated. Why have like five services running in, in a project when, when one would be enough? So I just came up with the idea. Uh, maybe we could just use, just make a library of each service instead, uh, because it's the kind of the encapsulation that the, 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 the possibility to reason about each of those modules separately was the benefit of the old all of this microservices solution but but it was so painful to to work with so so i i talked to james and furkan and said okay i have an idea so let's set up a meeting so we we had a meeting just an hour or so before lunch and I explained the idea. So I said, okay, maybe we can uh, keep the good parts uh, the, that we divide this kind of monolith into smaller parts. But uh, instead, we could just compile them into libraries and then we can have a single artifact uh, at one service that runs everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so we <clears throat> started. Uh, we we went into a room with a big whiteboard and we started to list pros and cons. And uh, yeah, and uh, after an hour, I hadn't uh, managed to convince the team that this was a great idea. The polylist story almost ended there before <laughs> yeah, lunch. Yeah, I felt so. But then we said, okay, we let's have a have lunch and then continue after lunch. We did that. And then after another hour, like five minutes before the meeting, I just felt, okay, I give up. But okay, let's try one more time. So I said, why why do we need to build something that is more complicated than it it needs to be? And... uh, and then uh, James looked at me and kind of, yeah, that sounds uh, like true. <laughs> right. And I mean, then, I'd already drunk the, the rich hickey Kool-Aid of the simple made easy. And, you know, I, I was already well on board with that way of thinking. It's just you hadn't phrased it that way. And it yeah, just yeah, so it kind did... of struck me. Yeah, I mean, the, this feels like how rich would do it. Or it, it feels like the closure way to do it is yeah, you get need rid to, of complexity. You need to use the word simple. That's it. If you want to convince closure people of anything, just say simple. <laughs> yeah. Here so, okay. Then we decided to, okay, let's uh, see if this works. And we did. Yeah. And of course I was a bit nervous about it because as a first time CTO, I'm already sticking my neck out a bit with the technology choices that we'd made, you know, closure, Datomic was not really, uh, well, it's not an industry standard database even now. And it definitely wasn't then. Uh, so, not only taking those technologies that are a little bit niche, but also going with a completely new architecture that no one, as far as we knew, had tried before that we basically were coming up with, of course, seemed mm-hmm. a bit scary, but uh, it, it was that guiding principle of let, let's let's think long-term over short-term and let's think simple over easy. And those have been sort of values that I've had for a long time. And I think that's what sort of convinced us that we were going to give it a try. I want to add, I, I, I know that, People have uh, used this library idea before me, I, so I didn't invent. I, I, I can't say that I'm the father of this to make the, the initial idea. That's yeah, true. the initial idea. Yeah, yeah. just to, yeah. Right, right. Uh, so what I, I we're talking a lot between uh, monolith, you know, microservices. What kind of challenges does poly, polylith solves, and like, how would you, how would we talk about this? Yeah, so I mentioned some of those challenges that we were facing uh, before. So maybe we can just go through them one by one and talk about them. And and then the first one I talked about was how we felt like we were building complexity in prematurely into the system because we were tying together 
our development strategy with our deployment strategy in a way that just wasn't separable. And, and, and you know how Rich defines complexity is complexing two ideas that don't belong together and that you make something simple by extracting them and, and simplifying them. So we wanted to mm-hmm. do that here. And, and and I think that's somewhere where Polylith really excels because it completely separates those because you, you can have this, uh, what we refer to as monolithic, which sounds degrading, but we don't mean it that way. When you have a monolithic development experience, everything is in the same place. And that's the simplest possible way to arrange the structure of your code. You're not adding barriers, you're not adding network, you're not adding complexity. But at a later stage, we still make it super easy to just pick and choose those Lego bricks that Yoki was talking about, a set of components on one base. We haven't spoken about that, but that's the way that you create an external interface or an API into your services. And you put them together, you you write a little uh, configuration file, a project file, and suddenly you can deploy that however you like. As a Lambda, you can deploy it as a service on EC2. You know, you, you're free to do what you want with that artifact. Um, so... Yeah, and we haven't really talked about projects. Maybe we can talk briefly about those. But basically, a project in uh, in Polylith is just a project like anywhere else. We haven't redefined the term. So it's a set of folders that have uh, source code, and it's a, a, a file, a configuration file that tells you what to pull in. So in Polylith, you just say, I want to pull in these components, this base, mm-hmm. and these libraries. And then the, when you build it, that we, we do the rest to create that artifact um, mm-hmm. and you have what sort of one main development project that you load up into your IDE as you're used to with other projects and that's what you work with uh, but then you can pick different versions you know we have these interfaces for components so you can have a test version of your component and then a production version and then you can decide how you want to deploy those in your various test and production environments so it's super flexible and it simplifies and separates two concepts that should be separate Maybe, Furkan, you could talk a bit about what does it feel like to work with that, mm. that setup? Yeah, exactly. Like, since since I started this uh, new startup a couple of months ago, it was, like, another Greenfield project I was in. And, like, uh, I knew that I'm going to use Clojure and Datomic and Polylet, of course. And, like, the good thing about Polylet is, like, from day one, like, when we started the project... I can start writing code without thinking about like, is it going to be a Lambda function? Is it going to be, uh, uh, I don't know, EC2 service? Or how am I going to split these different parts of the system? I don't need to think because it's a startup. I don't have any users yet. So I don't need to make those decisions in the day one. So I with Polylit, I just create a, a component and then write the code in there and then make sure it works, add another component, add another component. And once I have enough components, I just deploy it as a one service. And then later on, that service becomes too big. I just split it into two projects and then deploy it maybe two services or like one service, one Lambda. That's that's how it is like to, to work with, uh, with Polylet. Just postpone all the decisions uh, to until that you need to make those decisions. Exactly. And then I would say the second challenge that we faced was a lack of a convenient way to share code between the different modules or microservices as we had it in the first place. Um, the classic way of, of sharing code between microservices, I think, is creating libraries. Um, but th- th- there's definitely some challenges and some drawbacks to libraries because you're sort of freezing them at a certain point in time. You're saying this is a specific version. And like I said, we we're rapidly iterating on this code. And just that little bit extra amount of friction, it doesn't sound that bad, but every time that you meet just a little bit more friction, it really can slow you down and stop that momentum that we wanted to build up. Um, so, and what I, what we found was when we switched to the full Polylith version, you know, so not the the library uh, jar version that, that Yoki talked about, but the full one that we developed over time with these components and with, in the first place, we used symlinks, but now we, we're using these project files to, to combine them into artifacts. Uh, symbolic links, sorry, not sim links, but uh, and what we found in, with with this new world is just how reusable they are. You write, you only ever write one piece of code once because it's trivial to use it in any part of your system, whether or not you're, de- however you're deploying it. You never ever have to think about do I copy paste this code or do I bother to do it the right way? Again, we're encouraging you to do it the right way. You have one component that does one thing well, and everywhere you need it. Like Joachim said before, you just import it just like it's a library. 
that's really nice. Maybe Joachim, you can give a, a few examples of components just so people can get a feeling for what it's like to work. With yeah, them. I just want to add one more thing also. And it's it, with components, uh, you don't use anything like dependency injections. So you don't put things inside other things. You just, you, so, uh, components are composable. They are more like functions. You put them side by side and they interact. It's like a, a two dimension. Let's, if I, I think of functions like you put them on a, on a line. You, you kind of line them up. In a chain almost. Yeah, in a chain. So it's, it's very similar to, to that with components. You just kind of line them up or you could think of them like a two-dimensional way of lining them up. Yeah, I guess what mo most closure developers would have this familiarity with the, the, how great it feels to have this Lego box of uh, functions in the core library enclosure. You know, when you're making an algorithm or uh, you're just pulling those different functions and putting them together and playing with them. And it's like that, but at the service level with, with components, that's what it gives you is a building block, a brick that you can mm. compose together in a perfect way. Exactly. So what would be an example of a component? Yeah. So first we have, of course, those domain uh, components. I mean, if you have a if you have a system where you can buy things, you maybe have a basket, or I don't know, maybe that was a bad example. Maybe you have a user component, or or you may have an invoice component, and mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah, things that is specific to the domain that you're solving the problem in, because you normally have some kind of ubiquitous language that describes the domain. You normally talk about it with your stakeholders or with your users. So uh, we think it's really important that the system reflects that language as much as possible. And components give you this high-level building block where you can use that language. Yeah, and it's kind of nice. Uh, when, when you look at, for example, object-oriented code, you name things like user manager, user service, and stuff. And then you in inject things with dependency injection and stuff. But here, you, you name things very much simpler. You just name, name things like invoice or invoicer. You, 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 it's, it's much simpler. And, um, and also you have infrastructure components. For example, you may have like authentication, authorization, database, logging, stuff like that. So that's kind of the infrastructure components. And then if you integrate with a third party system, you, 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 you have components for that also. So you could have a component called payment API, or maybe that's, oh, maybe that's, or oh, let's say AWS right. dash or like API. a Skype, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Like, and like, uh, there is no limit of how many components you can have. And, and Paulette, like in my mid-sized projects, I have like 30 to 40 components. It's just like really, like I usually, tend to have them really small, uh, maybe, I don't know, a couple, maybe a thousand lines of code in each component. And then, yeah, it just does one thing. Like like you said, uh, like a Stripe API component, the, which yeah. talks to the Stripe API. And I think uh, the, our, the, the, the project we worked on, all three of us, the average size of the components there was uh, uh, 400 lines of code. So that's mm -hmm. kind of tiny. So, and you don't create microservices with 400 lines of code, because if you have 400,000 lines of code, you end up with 1,000 services, and that's really complex. But here you can grow the software by just adding more components, and it doesn't add complexity. It's kind of the opposite. And they're very malleable, because of course, as you learn more about the system and the problem space that you're solving, you tend to change how you think about things, you, you can change how you name things, but the, these don't sort of cement you into one solution. You can easily modify them over time, either add or remove functionality, combine multiple components together if you want to, or split them out. Like you have full flexibility in how to use these this abstraction level, these building blocks to describe your system. Cool. Um, maybe I can talk a bit more about a couple more challenges. We'll try and whiz through these. But I mentioned before about the poor REPL experience when we were using microservices, like we're hitting this brick wall of the network. And then even when we uh, switched to the initial version, which had like libraries uh, slash jars that we were pulling into one artifact, even there we were hitting problems with having to restart, having multiple REPLs. 
Um, so that was really fully solved when Joachim came up with the, this genius idea of using symbolic links where we could have everything in one place because that meant one place, one REPL. Uh, and then we further improved on that idea later on, with, like I said, with the, the project approach and using uh, the, the wonderful uh, depths.edn. Um, but maybe, Firkin, you can explain a little bit more what it's like to work with a single REPL and how that feels like. Yeah, like it, it, it feels like uh, like you just opened an example closure project and then you run a REPL, right? And then you just execute some statements. It's, it feels like this, even the project is huge. So that's, that's the good thing about Polyvate. Like everything runs on one single REPL and all the tests, you can run it from that and then you can debug the system and you can navigate the code that's because like everything is flat and then like just functions calling functions so you can just start from one function call and then uh, navigate through the entire code base to figure out uh, like if you're looking for a bug you can find it where it is uh, so no dependency injection so but there's no black magic i think exactly. that's one of the challenges with with frameworks and other ways of thinking about software where you put annotations or other things in that aren't the core part of the language that try and help you solve a problem, but they're not solving it in maybe the simplest, most transparent way. Yeah. With Polylith, there is no magic. There's nothing happening in the background. It's just function calling functions. Yeah. You can't get simpler than that. Yeah, po Polylith is, by the way, like Polylith is not in the in your project. It's just the way you structure the project. Right. That's it. Like right. you, it doesn't add any code to your project. So it's just a way to think about your project. And mm -hmm. also, like the, one of the biggest benefits is refactoring. Like because everything is in one place, I'm just not happy with one name. I can just right-click, rename, and it's renamed everywhere. Even right. if I have five services deployed, really powerful. And then the last uh, challenge that we we faced that I talked briefly about was we were using Datomic but not getting all the benefits. Uh, and part of that was because we were encouraged because we wanted modularity and, and the easy way to get modularity with microservices is to just add more services, we were encouraged to put more and more stuff across the network, which really took away from those benefits that we saw in terms of performance with Datomic. Whereas with Polylift, because you've got these modular components at, at your disposal, you don't need to think about modularity that way. That They are the way you think about your system's modularity. So then suddenly you can get this amazing performance. And in the beginning, we just deployed it as one service. I think uh, there at that recruitment company, we ended up with two services. We had a batch one, um, but we never, because the performance was so amazing in process in, in one deployment artifact, we just never needed to, to scale it up horizontally in any way, which kept the system as simple as possible. Uh, Joachim, maybe you could talk a little bit about how, how you compare working with Polylift to other architectures that you've used in your distinguished and long career. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, what you normally do is that you you have you try to use layers to to manage your systems, and uh, sometimes you have uh, three layers, four layers. I have actually worked in a project where, where they have had uh, five layers, so so you can add layers and layers and layers. Sometimes you, you those layers are arranged as an onion, maybe. Sometimes you divide your projects with uh, DDD, uh, tested DCI also. DDD, domain driven design. Yeah, I guess most people know. But. Yeah, and uh, you have yeah you use so, but but I would say the difference with Polit is that you just create components and bases. We haven't mentioned them. They are yeah. We will mention them. So you 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 have this uh, component building block, and that's your focus, and. Uh, so it kind of the need to think about how things depend on on other other things and and the need to structure your code in layers it kind of disappears. That's that's kind of strange. I don't yeah. Yeah, and I think yeah, another so like a, value like of layers or shapes of architecture that other architectures uh, proponents sort of argue for is about protection and encapsulation in some way. It's about stopping the wrong bits of the code, calling the other wrong bits, because then you get spaghetti mess. But we get that out of the box with components because of how they work with the interfaces and hiding the implementation. So it's not something you really need to think about. And that way, you don't need to worry about the patterns. It, and it becomes, like I said before, this flat dem democratic situation where it's just components talking to components. You don't need more complexity than that. Mm. 
Yeah, so um, as we were talking about this, so I believe the main idea and all the architecture came as a uh, way to structure, uh, if we can put it this way, backend services. But as Furkan also mentioned, there is no code that is added by Polyf or anything like this. It's just like architectural pattern. So one could also imagine if someone wants build like a front-end service in a similar approach, right? Yeah, like there is nothing stopping uh, uh, to do that. Like I even tried uh, like using same folder structure in a React application. So like mm -hmm. just the, the idea is nice. Like you can just like, for example, even if you're writing a JavaScript code, you can have a file named interface and then put all the functions that you want to expose from one folder and mm -hmm. you get the basic bits of the idea. Uh, but yeah, like the current tooling that we built around Polylet is supporting currently backend systems. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, what else should we talk about? What's the, uh, I, I, I think there is a lot of actually topics we could touch base on. Um, you know, there is, uh, I, I, first of all, I love your documentation website. So if someone wants to check it out, this is at polylift.gitbook.io. Uh, it looks like very high quality documentation, which doesn't uh, come as often as we wish. Um, and there is a couple of things there, uh, like the metaphor, the architecture, uh, and the tooling that we also discussed. Uh, but I think for that, we will try to cover uh, in the next episode, right? Yeah, that sounds good. Yes. Yeah. Also, it's probably worth uh, mentioning that with the new version of the tool uh, and, and the way of thinking about the architecture with depths.eden that we're releasing soon, or it is basically Yeah, yeah it is. Really. It is released. So the, those metaphors, the, that way of talking about it, we're kind of trying to simplify. So we're already working on a new draft of that documentation that you mentioned there, Yasek. Mm -hmm. And the new one is is substantially shorter, and hopefully uh, there are fewer concepts that people need to learn, and fewer metaphors that people need to understand to get into it. We're we're kind of backing away, although we we kind of had had a love hate relationship with those metaphors. Like we we loved parts of them, but we we felt like they weren't really connecting with people. Um, so we, we're uh, we're trying to simplify even more. As we said, if you say simple to a closure developer, hopefully you, you win their hearts. So that's that's the goal is to really strip away everything that's unnecessary to, to understand the concept. Yeah. Um, so maybe just to summarize. So uh, you have been working with this more or less since 2016. What has been your experience with building services with that or Silver Tool solutions or... I guess Ferkman's built the, the the largest number of polyliths, yeah. even though... Uh, just the polylith master. When yeah, maybe to... you could give a couple of examples of what it's felt like. Yeah, exactly. maybe, then maybe you can say how many projects you have worked with uh, the last uh, few years. So, like, I had, like, we had the project together back in the recruitment company, and then I built three different systems uh, um, for, for another company, and then now I'm building another system for, for my startup. So in total, like it makes five uh, Polylith systems. Plus you build the real world example for exactly. the Polylith. Exactly. And also I'm mostly building the tool tool here in Polylith. Yeah. So we have like... Yeah, the, tool, the tool itself bootstraps because it is a Polylith project itself. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's that's the beauty about beauty of the Polylith. Like we built the Polylith tool, Polylith itself, with using Polylith. And like we are building the code that is building actually. So it's it's quite uh, quite it's nice. like that snake that eats itself. Exactly, it's like that. <laughs> cool. So, hmm? so what what's your experience then with like working with this? I mean, of course, I, I'm I'm sure you're biased mm -hmm. because you created the tool. Yeah, we we can I can I can give um, like my opinion at least. As you said, it's very opinionated uh, because yeah. I am part of the team. Uh, but like what 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 I like about it is like when you buy in the polylit idea, you like basically you don't have any dots when you're writing the code. You just like okay, if you are implementing a new feature, like you just go to the components folder and then create a new folder, and then that's mm -hmm. your new new feature. And, and then, then and, yeah. and with the tool, it's it's just a one liner also. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's super simple and like you don't have like 
you don't think about like, okay like if i add this payment system like i might need to do this and no you just write the code to 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 write the integration and then you just call the interface i don't know in the like after someone clicks the pay button and that's yeah. it so like i don't know like my my ex- like it just definitely made me like four or five times faster than than normal like if i worked with microservices or another architecture if i was going to say one downside mm-hmm. it might be this and this is going to sound a bit crass maybe but i'm going to say it anyway but i think it's that one of the fun things for me with software engineering or engineering as a practice is is these trade-offs that you have to make you're constantly weighing up pros and cons of different things you know you're doing these decision matrix like we did mm-hmm. and, and there's there's never usually just a one right way of doing it. You you have to choose, and sometimes there's a new state of the art that comes along that changes how you think about things and pushes mm-hmm. you towards closer towards nirvana. But what kind of surprised me and almost scared me about Polylith was I didn't feel like that at any Maybe in the very beginning there were some more trade-offs before we got to the point where we really solved all the problems. But now it doesn't feel like there's, there's, there's anything negative. I haven't noticed any downside to it, which sounds like well, that just must be bias. But I've, we've really tried to investigate and figure out well, where's, where is the downside, right? We've been trying to be honest with ourselves and we couldn't, mm-hmm. we haven't found it. And we've built project after project and each time it's been the same positive experience. Mm-hmm. So the one downside is it gets a bit boring because now it's kind of obvious if we're going to do a new project, it will be with Polyglyph. Yeah. yeah, I would maybe, I could add one thing there that um, the the problems we we observed with the lining and based and with symbolic links version, those problems, it feels like we have solved all of them in the new tools.deps version. It's so, so the symbolic links are gone and we had something called um, workspace interfaces, they are gone and we have just removed everything that wasn't needed actually. So what's left is something very simple and easy to work very pure yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um i again uh, i think it's a great idea you know i uh, coming to the closure community uh from i don't know another community like let's say rails or you have everything structured you know everything how it is in every single rails application you can just walk in more or less to any other project just understand the domain where in closure we have all of our different preferences how to set it up um so i think also working in a team uh, if you go about like structuring your code, if you have a couple of like polylift projects, then it's just so much easier for you just to step into another project and just dive deep. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. That's That's been exactly our experience and, and our projection of how it would work. If this idea does take off within the Clojure community and there are more and more projects out there, just imagine how easy it's going to be. Uh, and I mean easy, like close to hand when you go to the new project and you know exactly where to look, you know exactly what to expect. We're all using the same terminology, the same language, which in engineering is such a huge and important thing. I, I think we underestimate the importance of language when it comes to software engineering. It's really key. And we've really spent a lot of time thinking about the naming in Polylift to try and help with that as much as possible. And uh, yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Yasek. I think that that suddenly becomes a much easier transition and a much faster. You get up to speed quicker and you understand faster and you can communicate more quickly and start having discussions at a different level of abstraction. Imagine a whiteboard meeting where people are drawing the boxes for the components and discussing where should this functionality be. You know, suddenly you're all talking the same language. It's, it, it's game changing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also like another good thing about Polit is compared to like using a framework, uh, like it doesn't also lock you into a specific technology or library like within the components you are free to use whatever you want like you can try another library in one component and then use another library in another component or a different style of coding in one component another style in a different component but they will both share the same in like a similar interface so and then like when you're talking about the components it's going to be the same way even though you wrote the code in a different way in the hidden in the implementation so also gives you like if if you want to try out something new uh, in that project you can just try it on like just create one component that has exactly the same interface as another component and try your idea and if it works delete the other component super simple right Mm -hmm. cool 
Um, all right. Is there anything else we should mention today? There are lots of videos on YouTube. If you search for Polylift, you can watch um, presentations by Joachim. He's done a shorter presentation. You've done uh, one at a closure conference that's really uh, worth looking at, although you were talking about a slightly older version, but it, I think a lot of it's still relevant. Uh, my long, uh, hour-long video is probably not as relevant now, uh, but I have a 10-minute Polylith in a nutshell video that could be interesting for people. Uh, you mentioned the documentation. Uh, people will be able to see the, the new one of that, hopefully before even this gets um, gets released, this podcast. So hopefully we'll have the new version up. So yeah. anything else people should and think the GitHub repository, the, the readme there is quite good. So uh, mm -hmm. I For think, the tool. Yeah, for the tool. So the, the github.com slash polyfy, if you... If you go there, then you will find the README. Also, if people want to see an example project, they, look, they could look at your real-world project. What's yes. the URL to check that it's one? It's on my GitHub. Uh, it's a, I, can put, I can put all put of the links link, in yeah, Because that also has some explanation about how the components are divided and yeah. then just looking at the code, looking at the project files. Mm -hmm. It's a great way to sort of dive in at the deep end and get a feeling for how a polylith project is to work with. Yeah, for end-to-end. -end, like, it even has a continuous integration example set up and yeah no it was great it was great to have you have you on uh as i said three person for the first time so thank you a lot for taking the time talking about polylith and um let's try to figure out exactly maybe more nitty-gritty details in another episode sounds excellent thank you so much for having us on uh, we, we, as you can tell from our voices we're very passionate and excited about this so we, we love talking about this to, to anyone that wants to talk about it with us, but we really enjoy talking with you, Jacek. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider supporting it by rating on the platform you're listening to, sharing with others, and supporting directly by buying some video courses and learning ClojureScript and Clojure. You can check out the courses at jacekshe.com. That is J-A-C-K-S-C-H-A-E.com. Thanks.